This is Don Miner, and Matt Morgan sucks. He is not fired, though, currently. Still sucks. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. I gave out an award this week for the most groundbreaking invention ever. It went to the shovel. <laughs> <sighs> oh. The dad jokes will, will never end with Mr. Matt Morgan. Not in 2019. Next- Next, moving quickly away from Mr. Dad Joke, I have to introduce the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. Unlike Matt, nothing I say will ever be borrowing. Stop. Don't, you're embarrassing all yourself. All of this is terrible. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the cast, we're going to give that data a little more context. Ladies and gents, it has happened at last. We have on the podcast our Lord and Savior, the inventor <laughs> of the wreck, the miner of data, Donald Miner, inventor of EDA Trek. Wow. What's up, Don? I, <laughs> I'm really happy to be here. I haven't quite gotten an intro like that before, so that was awesome. I We, we owe it all to you, Don. Nothing but praise. <laughs> nothing but praise. Yeah, nice. Uh, no, I'm, I'm really happy to be here and talk to you guys. Uh yeah, I'm just happy to be here overall. I'm excited to talk. Yeah, we so just to start right off, we like to get to know people by asking about the types of decks that they like to play. So to start off so that everyone can get to know the mastermind behind the website, Don, tell us what kind of crazy brews you're always up to. <laughs> I, I feel like I have a pretty good reputation in the internal EDH rec community. I play, I like to play competitive decks but I, I don't know help me out here dana since we played a bit yeah like like i like to play competitive i like to play well-tuned decks that are fair i think is the best way of putting it so i'm always putting thought into you know i don't want to be like i, I kind of want to sneak in the win i don't want to make it obvious that i'm going to win but i but i want but i want to win i would say that <laughs> at least based on my experience you like to build like a weird unique to you deck that other people aren't playing and then and then you want to tighten the screws on that weird deck as much as possible to make it as uh, strong as you can while it's still being a weird deck nice nice yeah. okay that's that's a, that's i'm glad i have data here to help me out with my uh <laughs> yeah some some examples include olero ageless ascetic but as a mono black deck <laughs> that uses that life gain as a resource or Tanawa, which is a mono-blue legendary creature that phases your stuff out that no one but you in, had, had ever heard of, but that you found a way to turn into a stacks deck. So, <laughs> yeah. This is the crazy guy who invented EDH Rec, and I'm all about it. See, see, actually, Tanawa is a really good example of the kind of decks that I like to build, because like, if you just go out and build a land stacks deck, everybody's going to hate me. <laughs> and I like people. I want people to like me, but I still want to play stacks. so so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna play tanawa which you know if if you don't know the card it basically phases out your lands every other turn then he phases out every other turn people are like 
I think you're playing stacks, but your lands are phasing out and your deck seems really terrible. And I've never seen this thing before. They're like amazed by how stupid it is. They don't realize that I just sundered you and then played land equilibrium. So you can't play lands anymore. That's uh, that's really, really mean. It's really nice to know that the guy who invented this amazing data resource is also crushing people's souls with a deck that no one else understands. You know what? Actually, it's funny that uh, EDHREC spawned from kind of my desire to tighten the screws, like Dana said, on these decks, like Tanawa, for example, because there's not a lot of, um, you know, before I made the underpinnings of EDHREC, I was like scouring the deck building websites for like other examples of people, other players that were like me. And, um, that was really painful. So, <laughs> cause no one's like you. No, it, I mean, I think I can find those decks now through advanced filters. I can, uh, do better like card discovery. I mean, I think everybody at some point has dropped down into scryfall, for example, and just like looking for random ass enchantments that do something right. Um, but having to do that for every single card really made optimizing my decks really hard, which is kind of where, the idea for EHREC came from. Yeah, and that's actually a great transition as well. Let's discuss a bit more, you know, behind the actual website itself. You told the story on a few of the podcasts that you guested on, but what, aside from, you know, that was really the impetus of the of the website. How did it begin? Sure. So so it began with, the well, the, the EHREC as a thing has changed forms quite a, a couple times now. And the way it started was that I was, what I was doing was I was going on deck list websites and finding, you know, if I'm trying to build Tanawa, and I'd find the other like four deck lists out there and I would kind of maybe copy and paste the list into an Excel spreadsheet and then I would see what cards they had in common. And so I was basically manually doing this. So one day what I decided to do was I built a, I mean, it was a pretty short program that I wrote in Python that pulled some deck lists together that I would copy and paste into a text file and then it would do a lot of the summarization stuff for me and would um, basically provide recommendations on the deck that I was trying to build. So like, hey, you know, the other cards that you were playing, you should be playing these cards. Actually, that's the underpinnings of the rec piece of the website. So I, basically I was doing this like, you know, it, I look like some sort of a awesome hacker or something, you know, I'm like have a terminal open. It's like scrolling card names through like a black and white terminal and and I used that personally for, I don't know, almost a month before I thought that it could be something else. So that's, that's kind of where, I mean, really primal started. And then um, after that, I was pretty active on the EDH subreddit, and I have been for a long time. And one of the problems that the, web, the, the subreddit had was people posting really lazy deck lists and asking for help. So, for example, they would post some deck list on Reddit and be like, hey, I need some help. My deck sucks. And then you go look at the deck list and it's like missing soul ring, you know, <laughs> right. like, and not to get into the whole like soul ring debate, but like, you know, if you're trying to make your deck better, maybe you should play soul ring. Um, like basic obvious things are like, oh, you're playing a ramp deck and you have a bunch of bad ramp cards, but you're not playing like cultivate or, you know, you're playing three cost Man manor rocks. You have manolith in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like basically <laughs> all... definitely a sticking point for Dana. All of Dana's uh, in the margins cards, right? Right. So, the and what pissed me off was that they were lazy. So what happens is that, uh, you know, I'm sitting there like thinking about interesting advice I could give this person because they're trying to build a deck on, you know, some obscure commander that I have some experience with, but 
there's almost like this pile of that I have to get through to say like, hey, you need to fix all these like basic fundamental things about your deck before we start talking about something interesting. So I thought, and also two people were complaining on the subreddit too about like, um, you know, how not interesting these conversations were. So I kind of as a joke, I, I, I took my code for the rec engine stuff that I was using. I mean, literally the same Python code that I had and I took some Reddit bot software and I wrapped it up in that and had it return. <laughs> like, I, no joke. I, I, I mean, yes, joke. I, I did start this as a joke where the thing was going to reply to people posting deck lists and give them the obvious recommendations, the top 10 basic recommendations. And it would return things like Soul Ring if um, you know, they forgot Soul Ring. And, and sometimes it got some pretty interesting results in there as well. So that, that was kind of like the really beginnings. And I probably, you know, after a, a couple of months, I had that bot running on, on Reddit. That's really interesting to hear that it started almost as, as, as a joke just to yeah. help people remember very simple things that it seems silly to have forgotten. But it's also, I guess now it feels a little tough to imagine back then when there wasn't a resources popular ZDH rec where it was probably pretty easy to forget that cards like Explosive Vegetation or, or even Soul Ring to forget that those cards existed. Yeah, yeah. And EDH is such a, I mean, one of the reasons why I like the format so much is it has such a large card pool. And I and even my I found found myself when I was plugging my deck lists into the rec engine. I mean, I, I found myself missing obvious things. So that's where I really started using it early on. And I actually still use the rec piece of the ehrec.com. Mostly, I mean, I have like a good enough card knowledge at this point that you know, I feel like I don't miss things too often because I don't know about the card. I usually miss them because I forgot them. And so um, that 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 still continues to help with me today. Gotcha. So it started as that Reddit bot. Well, I suppose it started as that code initially, and then it became the Reddit bot. When did the actual beginnings for a website start to become a thing? When was Keats starting to get? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there was actually a version of the website before. I kind of wish I had kept it around so that I could look at it. But um, pretty early on, I would say like a few months after that, I made some improvements to the bot. So it was returning more stats. And there was a guy, this guy, Kevin, that I met through Reddit that offered to make a website around it, basically just wrap up my code into a website. He wanted a personal project to do to learn like a, a certain like web development framework. Sure. Like why not? Right. And so we worked together a little bit to build that out. And so the initial website that edhrec.com had only had the rec engine. So you'd have to give it like your link to your deck list and it would return back recs. And it didn't have any of like the commander stats, the card stats, you know, top cards, like all that stuff wasn't there yet. So that website was maybe, I want to say, if I had to take a guess, like three or four months after the bot went up. And then that was up for like a couple months, few months. And then I got the idea to do the, well, at this point then, now I started getting more data. Like I had a, so this was around like 70,000 deck lists at this point. And um, so this was, oh man, this is like 2000. 13, I want to say, 14, maybe something around there. So, I mean, EDH, but even back then, it's really grown in the past four years. So I had these deck lists and I started finding out that I could make these stats like, hey, what are the top cards played for this commander, right? Like just simple stuff like that. And so that's when I rebuilt the website myself personally. It looked a lot worse than what Kevin built, unfortunately, because I'm not as good as a UI developer. But I think the value in the data was a little bit better. So that's that's kind of where it was at. And that, for most intensive purposes, is the version of the website that exists now. 
is the one that has the commander pages, the card pages, the rec engine still there. Uh, we've added a lot of pages like the tribal pages and things like that. But I mean, for the most part, the website has stayed the same uh, since that change. Uh, yeah. Very cool. So, so you said, you know, we've, we've kind of gotten to the modern era of EDH rec from its, its early beginnings. Uh, when did articles and kind of the, the pages we know it come along? Kind of when did we enter that? And what was the motivation behind doing articles? behind doing commanders of the day and all those kind of little things that we keep adding on. So on the articles, I, I think the, and this is actually going to go into part, I think that we're going to continue this theme too when we start talking about some future features, is that EDHREC at the raw level is all numbers and stats, and there's no human element for the most part. Really, I mean, EDHREC works some of the, Things that we use for EDHREC to calculate all of the stats and the, the code, the underpinnings for the REC engine, for example, a lot of them, like the, from a theoretical perspective, they work because people are incompetent in different ways. <laughs> okay, uh, that's a go, pretty strong take there, Don. Yeah, yeah. go go on. Yeah. So, you know, this is like a theoretical thing. Like I'm, I'm actually, I, like we, I do this at my day job too. So the idea is, is that. People are wrong, but they're wrong in different ways. So if you take lots of wrong answers, but they're wrong in different ways and you average them, then you get something decent, right? So you get closer to a right answer. Yes. They have to be wrong in different ways though, right? So that's not always the case. And we see that some of these cases, like some of these biases show up, or, or maybe it's too like, maybe the card is too expensive, right? So if everybody had access to the card, maybe it would be played more. So there's def definitely, I'm not saying there's not bias in there, but the whole underpinnings of the website itself is that you average all these things out and we hope that something comes out of it that makes sense. Now, the issue is, is that, you know, us as humans that have played the format and understand how cards are played and can make some more interesting reasoning about why cards should be played or not be played is really useful to people. And I wanted to add this human intelligent element, human intelligence element to EDHREC. And I thought that was really important. So that's when I got the idea to do uh, the articles, uh, like that we we would invest in articles and pay for the articles and the and gather all the writers together and and give them a place to be so that people knew where to go get them. And that was a that was a big first step towards baking in human intelligence at EDHREC and have those pages link back between the pages so that people can switch back and forth between human thought about cards and uh, the statistical thought, which I think both have their own uses and their different uses. Yeah, absolutely. The stuff on EDHREC is fascinating, but it's not inherently correct. And there's plenty to pick apart, you know, when it shows that this particular card is showing up in 84% yeah. of decks, or this card is only showing up in 28% of decks, stuff like that. It's good to have someone else to take a, a a really close look at that and analyze it to see whether that should be correct. So that totally makes sense. I just want to push back and, and Don, you said you wanted to add human intelligence to the, to the articles and to the site. And I was one of the original writers and I don't know if we added any <laughs> intelligence there. <so. laughs> well, the bar was a lot lower when we brought you on. That's, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> and we added Dana too. And well, that, it's great to go for human intelligence. We're not yet sure whether Dana is actually human. Well, as long as you guys keep being wrong in different ways, we can average it all out. Right. No, that's, <laughs> that's what's important. No, but I, I think actually Dana's article series is a pretty good example of this, where he's pointing out cards that are popping up towards the top due to some sort of bias that he believes exists. 
And so, you know, some of these are kind of on the hot take spectrum, but yeah, that, that's kind of like things we need to, as players need to watch out for uh, if we want to build good decks. If we don't want to build the good, the good decks and we just want to play, that's fine too. So, <laughs> Right, but none of this is inherently prescriptive. It's great to have a reminder to find cards that people might be forgetting, like Soul Ring and Cultivate and stuff like that. But we also need to constantly interrogate those numbers as well. Yep, yep. And and really understand like why those like why is that number high? You know, why is this card played so much? Right. And which led to the podcast where you hosted a reality television <laughs> show that forced us to lip sync for our lives so that we could become co-hosts of the show, things like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I and, and the podcast is the next step from the articles as well. You know, I think we can just dis- you guys can discuss uh, different types of topics on here than we can in articles and have more discussion and the more mediums the better, I think and and uh, that, that's really my goal here is to provide useful information to people that want to build EDH decks. That's like, you know, I don't know, that's that's our mission statement, right? Exactly. Is it? I don't know. That's, I just made it up right now. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, Don, how, how do you actively use the site for yourself? Like when you're going to build a deck, what do you actually, what features do you use? What are your favorites? How do you use it to to build what you're building? Well, most features are because I needed them to exist. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when I like if pretty much all the things on the website are like, I remember sitting down and being like, I want to know the answer to this question. While I go find out the answer to this question, I should just implement it as a feature and call it a day. So, for example, the sets pages, right, like where I can look by set. You know, I was really interested in that because at one period of time, I wasn't playing EDH very much. I wasn't playing Magic at all very much due to how many children I have. And, um, you know, I'd have to go up to update my decks. And maybe two or three sets have been released since I've updated my decks last. So I wanted to see, like, hey, what are the top cards from the past three sets? And that wasn't something I could do on EDH Rec. So uh, that's when I created those pages. So a lot of times, so I guess what I'm saying, my, my kind of cop-out answer is I kind of use it all because... I pretty every feature was designed around something that I needed to do. So, um, you know, I, I think I think in all seriousness, like um, the things I use the most, you know, I I, I use ED, I, I would say my primary use for EDH rec is for like discovery of commanders and trying to find a commander that kind of fits my what I'm looking for. Like um, uh, one thing that I do that I think maybe is interesting is I only keep four decks at any time. So if I have interesting, yeah. So if I want to make a new deck, like I have the itch to create like a zombie tribal deck or whatever, I need to find which of my decks I'm going to take apart to make room for it. And I, I do that because I like to highly tune my decks. And I, if I have too many decks, then my key staples like mana crypts start running thin, kind of kind of thing. So for example, I have four mana crypts, and uh, <laughs> okay. and actually, mana crypt is the underpinning of my deck limit. So. <laughs> So, you know, like if I'm doing zombie travel, like I, that's that's what I use it for. Like I, I poke around like which zombie tribal cards like are the right number on the hipster scale, like are interesting. Like they have some mechanic that's doing something new. You know, maybe the expensive cards are cards that I have already, things like that. So I would say that's yeah. that's like the main thing. And then also, too, I use advanced filters a lot. That was a huge thing for the website, I think, and um, really helps me tune the results down a little bit. So, yeah. So I use it a lot for discovery and um and, and yeah. 
Yeah, those are especially cool. I personally love the advanced filters. That's probably my favorite feature, just because then you can see, okay, I only want to look at Titania decks that are using this specific card, yeah. so that I know that people are going for the same exact strategy as me. That way I can find better tailored results like that. But I also like what you mentioned about using it sort of to help find commanders. I, I have a pretty good memory of... Uh, the Mishra Artificer Prodigy, when I first saw that card and I was getting into Commander, I was like, this is ridiculous. What a terrible card. I could never use this for EDH ever because it specifically references playing artifact spells and finding more artifacts from your deck with the same name as that artifact. And since we're singleton format, there's no way. But using a resource like EDH Rec, you can go onto Mishra's page and you'll see a bunch of cards that actually make that ability work, like Possibility Storm. Yep. And then suddenly the deck can actually exist. And that's not something that I might have like inherently been able to find out without some kind of resource like that. So that's definitely really cool. Dana, Matt, what about you guys? What particular features do you guys like to use all the time? Oh, man. I, I like to use it in to use advanced filters to... Yeah, basically drill down and find decks that are doing a similar thing to what mine in particular is doing, and then to look at that deck list and just see what I missed. Like, I like to go in the actual physical deck itself after I've determined using the filters that it matches what my kind of vision is, and then just look through what cards they have in that deck and see what jumps out, as me. It jumps out to me to say, oh man, why did you not think of that card, or I forgot that card existed, or whatever. So that's what I like it for is just to find somebody else out there who had the same thought process and already put a list together and see <laughs> what leaps they made. Actually, yeah, you, that's, uh, that's cool. Uh, you know what I end up, what thing that's been frustrating me with doing that for, though, because I do that a lot, is finding my own damn deck list. Yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, like I'm drilling down and like, oh, there's only three decks that are doing this exact thing that I want. And I drill down. It's like, yeah, this guy's really smart. Yeah, this guy's awesome. It's like, yeah, this guy's deck list looks a lot like mine. <laughs> I realize it's mine. So yeah. Ouch. Yeah, there's one on de- there's one on Dex Dash, there's one on Goldfish, and you're like, okay, I'll check them both. I'm like, oh that's right, I put one on Dex Dash and I put one on Goldfish. <laughs> so Matt, how about you? Um, so I like and I use it a lot when I'm writing my articles, especially not just being able to look at commander pages, but looking at specific cards and then finding the best commander for that specific card. Like if I want to find a good commander for Splinter Twin, I can go to Splinter Twin's page and look at that. And then like we both kind of said a little bit before is looking at other deck lists, you know, being able to zoom out a little bit and not just look at, okay, this commander's playing this card. That's cool. But what else are they playing in there? Not just percentages, but what does a complete deck list look like? Uh, that's always been really interesting for me to look at because I, I like looking at the complete package what all goes into that. So that's that's always been a, a very useful tool for me to use. That's really cool. I like that. So now, Don, I have to ask, since you have created this website that's only gotten more and more popular, you get a bunch of weird questions all the time. So I kind of want to know like, what some of the common questions are that people tend to ask. Yeah. Well, real questions are one thing. I get a lot of just weird questions like, what commander should I use that has green in it? You know, like things like that. So anyways, besides that, I think uh, we are actually, it's on the to-do list to build a FAQ because there are quite a few questions that come up. But uh, one big one is what's up with signature cards? I like probably explain that about once a week. I need to like create a video on what how signature cards work. <laughs> Do you want to give us the rundown on the podcast? <laughs> sure. That could count as the video. <laughs> sure. We can just like cut to this clip on, on the FAQ. So the signature cards actually are, I remember when I built this, it was 
for that Mishra use case. So, you know, you're trying to build Mishra and you're like, what is Mishra about as a commander? Right. And it's not just the commander because you're looking at the card itself and you're like, I don't, I don't understand what this commander is going to try to do. Right. So if you go to Mishra's thing, I'm, I'm pretty sure possibility storm is going to be up there. You know, let's go look. Yeah. So possibility storm is the number one signature card on Mishra. Right. Um, and blood funnel is up there as well. So, Basically, you know, the intent of signature cards is to show you the cards that are played for that commander more than its peers. So it kind of teases out the cards that are popular, but also the ones that are more popular for this one particular commander than otherwise. So, for example, Possibility Storm is in 87% of Mishra decks and 3% in other Grixis decks. Right, and that's what leads to that 84% synergy yes. in Mitra. Yes, yes, Yeah, because it's just that difference there. That makes sense. Yep, and, and then, so if you look at, like, uh, Soul Ring, for example, is in 90% of these decks, but it only has 6% synergy because, I guess, the average for... Because everybody and their brother's playing Soul Ring. Right, so, so it's not interesting to see Soul Ring up at the top, right? It's interesting to see Possibility Storm up at the top. So that's the purpose of synergy, and the way that I calculate it is it's pretty simple it's basically the percentage of times that i see that card in that deck subtracted by the percentage of time that i see that card in that color identity that's that's great don but you're talking about math and uh, (laughs) everyone hates math subtraction (laughs) yeah as an english major i can't allow you to continue talking about you you, you can't do subtraction uh i i I will oh i i I guess i I guess i was talking about percentages and stuff yeah (laughs) Yeah. But but the, actually, the one thing that I want to point out that's a little bit different is I actually played around with dividing instead of subtraction, meaning that I wanted to see like the number of times more often we see a card in the deck. And it basically just created weird numbers, and I thought the results weren't as good. So it, it wasn't really scientific. It was just kind of like, I think that's the problem. I think the reason why it brings a lot of confusion to people is because they see this number like 84% synergy, and they're like, that sounds scientific, right? And in reality, it's just like a number that happens to tease the important cards up to the top, right? And that's something that, um, you know, I think people get tripped up on. Is it, it sounds scientific and it sounds all mathy, but in reality, I just fiddled with some addition and subtraction and stuff until the number, like, until possible Billy Storm pops up to the top. <laughs> yeah. Lots of bias there. Yeah. Yeah. So I've actually considered removing the score itself like the eight plus 84 percent and giving it like a star rating like a five star rating or four star maybe make it a little bit more ambiguous so it seems less scientific but yeah i don't know or it's like fun. you could really get like elementary school and like this one gets a banana and this one has like a <laughs> double cherry rating <laughs> there you go i like that one because that's, 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 you don't want to get any questions about that yeah yeah oh man but uh, anyways yeah, so I, I think I would say technically about the website, I get the most questions about the Synergy score and signature cards. The other thing, too, that I get a lot of questions on is how themes are defined and how tribes are defined. So, for example, like, you know, how did you guys get around, like, how do I make it so that my deck looks like a aristocrat deck, right? And this is another one that is very, was very hand chosen in the sense that we kind of fiddled with the numbers until we got like a good number of decks 
that were present, presenting results what we thought an aristocrat deck was all about. And, you know, it's something like, it could be something as big or as silly as, you know, the card has to mention sacrificing a creature, like how many cards are doing that. Like the average converted mana cost of creatures has to be low. So there's a bunch of like little rules that we program into each and every theme. And so some of them, you know, it's hard to replicate, you know, if you're if you're trying to get your deck to show up as a certain kind of theme. So, you know, I, I think really what it comes down to is like usually I get questions about the things that aren't very scientific. And, you know, that's just the nature of having to do things like that. Yeah. And those that, you know, if there isn't an exact mathematic purpose behind all of those or if it isn't necessarily, you know, abiding completely by the scientific method that doesn't mean that those features aren't useful you know seeing how many landfall decks or different things that are common mm. in artifact synergy decks or plus one counter decks like those are still very useful to yeah. see because they gather up a bunch of those same like-minded cards basically yeah i, I mean i i think so too like I, I use those pages a lot but i think on some of these features like that and synergy it's almost like if you think too hard about it then it starts making less sense <laughs> like i had somebody emailed like a a theory on synergy and stuff and i was like you're you know i wanted to say like you're thinking way too far into this <laughs> like i just fiddled with some numbers so yeah I, I mean i think that's a good that's a good strategy about ea trick overall you know like you should kind of look at it as a high level maybe have it hint you in one direction or another but if you kind of like take too look too close of a look you know and you see that only 84 percent of people are playing soul ring then you're like uh what's going on here right so that kind of brings to the question, talking about people using it wrong or using it or, or wanting to get things out of it maybe that it can't do. What do you think are some common problems you see with how people utilize that data? You know, I, I actually don't think that there's any problem with it on how people use the data. You know, let's take an example of something that I, I feel like is a, I think most people would disagree with. And I kind of had to talk to some of my users to really understand what they were doing because the website's been used in ways that, you know, I'm always kind of surprised sometimes how, how somebody was using it. But a great example I like to say is the average deck, right? So for a commander, if you go to average deck, it kind of gives you like the most played cards. It's a little bit more sophisticated than that. But for the most part, it's basically just like generic deck list that just kind of works, right? Or it's the most popular cards. And I created this because somebody asked for it. And I was like, okay, yeah, sounds good. Like, I don't know why you would use this. But when we have a bug in place that screws with this list, I get tons of emails. Actually, this is how I usually know how popular feature is, is that when it breaks, how many emails I get about it. <laughs> uh, when the average deck list breaks, I get loads and loads of, e of messages about it. I even had a, a bug for a little while where like the deck list was coming out to like 98 cards and people were like, this deck is invalid. I'm like, I mean, you can just add like an island to make it valid. And then I realized that these people are like literally taking the average deck list and copying and pasting it into whatever they're doing, whether it's like Coctris or, you know, Moto or they're actually like, <laughs> you know, building the deck. So I, I guess at first I was kind of like, that's wrong. <laughs> you shouldn't be, do, be like playing EDH like that. And then I kind of re realized, you know, after talking to somebody about it, that that does this, that he was basically like, I see it as a pre-con. Like I suck at building decks. I don't really enjoy it. And I just want to play with my friends who are into the game, right? And so, like, I can go do this. And I, you know, like the one guy was saying that he goes to the site, he goes to the budget version of the commander, you know, the, the, the budget cheap, right? And then looks at the average deck list, 
and just pulls pulls that out, right? And like it's almost like I felt bad about judging people for doing that, and then I was like, this guy just wants to play with his buddies, you know, and have like a deck list that's not completely terrible. So I like that analogy that you used, Don, where you, you look as, at the average average deck list as more of a precon than anything else, right? So I, I guess what I'm saying is. I think I just, I, I just hope that people are thoughtful about the website. Okay, actually, you know what? I just thought I just thought of ways that the website can be used wrong, um, and, and I actually see our our, uh, our good friend Jason Alt do this sometimes. Is using this? I've actually seen the finance people use this, but I think they're doing it appropriately. Is using my stats as some sort of like reasoning behind making a decision, <laughs> like uh, I'm trying to think of what kind of decision, but like like a finance decision, right? Like Oh, this card is played in a bunch of EDH decks. It's it's being played a lot, and I think they have found trends in my stats with the price of cards. But it's like one of those things where I think EDH Rec is really good at these aggregate numbers. But if you really narrow in on certain num like certain things, like there's a lot of weird stuff that's going on, right? Like you know, if you kind of look at Prosh versus Lord Windgrace, I'm kind of looking at the Jun page right now. Prosh has been around for a while. Maybe you don't know that if you're just looking at this at first. There's like reprint situations, right? Like there's just a lot of weird stuff going on in EDH, a lot of weird biases and factors. So if you just say like, oh, you know, a Dune Oaken Shield is worse than Zero Aryan because it's like twice as many decks. Like that's not something you should ever say. Like you shouldn't say whether or not a card is good or not based on the number of decks. You can only say that it's more popular. That's that's what that's usually what I say is is uh, EDH rec is calculating popularity, not not goodness. Right. That's why we like to challenge the stats every yeah. episode. Yeah. So, anyways, I I know I kind of ramble there, but I, I guess what I'm saying is I think a lot of the people that have brought up things like oh, there are people that are using the average deck list to just like it's like the ultimate net decking, right? Like I, they're putting zero thought into it, and I am so f- full of myself that I feel like I can judge these people. I think that's what I, I see more of that than people using the website wrong. Like I see people like judging people for using EDHREC when, you know, like I said, this person just wanted to play with their friends and was really bad at building decks, which in EDH is pretty complicated. So it is a darn big format. That's true. Yep. So I try to judge people less by how they're using the site and more think about like just give people different tools to do different things. Yeah, and I think it speaks volumes, frankly, that the guy who invented this data aggregation website is playing Tanawa. <laughs> well, I did take away. I, I did take apart Tanawa, unfortunately. <gasps> what? No. Yeah. Well, I mean, Dana kind of knows the story, but I I played Tanawa at GP Vegas in the, in the tournament, and I I just played it a lot. I played it like five games straight, and I was just I, and it's a deck that I'd had together for a long time, and I just got tired of it. It was just kind of my faith is shaken in you, Don. I mean, it'll come back one day. I, you know, I'll, I'll think of something new to do with it one day, but. It'll eventually phase back in? Yeah, I actually do that a lot. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow, that was good. You're too I, proud I, of yourself. You can't I, laugh I, at your own joke that hard. Shit, I, did, I didn't even. Yes, I can and I will. No, that was a good one. So, Don, what is your oldest deck that you have together then? You said you only have four at a time. What's the oldest deck that you have that's lasted the longest? Mm. Uh, I know you talk about Chainer in our Slack channel all the time. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm going to say Chainer, but it's kind of an interesting answer. So... I'm going to say my mono black EDH deck is my oldest deck because that's a deck when I, t- when I want to freshen it up a little bit, I will change the commander out. 
so, or like, you know, kind of take it a slightly different direction because of the commander. So my deck has, my mono black deck for the most part has been kind of controly. Like I have a lot of board wipes, like edict effects, um, really powerful, like black spells. And um, usually there's like some reanimation component or whatever. Sometimes there's not. And so there's that like kind of mono black control shell that has been a deck that I've had for the longest time. You know, maybe at this point about five or six years in continuity. But the commanders changed out a lot. So it's been like Sedition Dead Vizier like three times. I did a Loro mono black for a little bit. I did um, Gonti. I did Erebos. I did Liliana Heretical Healer. I mean, I've done it all, right? Like, and Chainer, uh, I've done Shieldred, and now I'm currently on Chainer. And actually, Chainer, I think, is going to stick around for quite a while. I, I really enjoy Chainer a lot. He is high on the hipster factor. Yeah. There's definitely that, but you you also have sort of a Jack and Hagar from Game of Thrones, a deck has no name, like deck of many faces type of deal going on there, which is kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's kind of interesting because given my own restrictions, sometimes I have to figure out ways to do that. Like, I don't want to make another mono black deck because I only have four decks available to me. I don't want to have too much redundancy in my deck. So it forces me sometimes to think about like, well, I'm kind of bored of my mono black deck, but I still like mono black. I can have some fun with it by just like switching out the commander and doing something new. Nice. And, and that's something I've done. One theme that I actually do not have together right now, which probably is the longest running deck, but I took it apart last year was Enchantress. So I've been playing some sort of Enchantress deck since Progenitus came out. So what was, I don't know, whenever Conflux came out. I remember that's when I built it. And I mean, only up until a year ago did I take that apart. A year ago, around the time that Commander 2018 came out, and yeah. Enchantress became popular? <laughs> yeah, that, that, You hipster, you. I know. It, well, Enchantress had become more popular, but I just, that one was really, I just got really bored of it. I was trying to find something fresh with it. Unlike Mono Black, where I can go different angles, like for example, Chainer is a really creature-heavy control deck that I have right now, and it's been very spell-heavy in the past, so that's why I think Chainer is a little fresh. It's like very very uh, ETB creature-focused. Meanwhile, Enchantress, like I tried a couple things to make it fresh, and I was kind of excited by some of the new commanders, but not really like Tuvasa. Was kind of, that's the one that gets plus one, plus one, right? Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like that one was kind of boring because it kind of does what I kind of wanted to do in a sense. Like, like it, <laughs> sorry, your definition of boring is very weird to us. Yeah, well, like it's not exciting. Like it gets bigger with more enchantments. Like so what? And then I thought the uh, the mask lady, <laughs> what the hell's her name? Estrid. Estrid. I thought that was pretty cool, but unfortunately, I went down like a really dark, deep path of that. That involved a lot of like land stacks and like stasis and things and. Sometimes I do stop myself. It's like, I cannot control myself with this commander. Like, <laughs> like I'm just going to do very bad things with this commander. It kind of sounds to me, just throughout this interview, it sounds like you're like secretly a laboratory maniac extracting data <laughs> from the masses, like a villain in a James Bond movie. <laughs> yeah, I, but I don't want to be. You know, like, it's kind of like I'm deep down inside, I'm some sort of like villain, but, and I know that. So I need to set myself, <laughs> so I need to put myself into situations that, Caused me not to do that, which is why I kind of like stay away from CEDH and overall like the kind of what I would call like the stereotypical competitive EDH decks because, I mean, I'm going to tune that to exactly its full potential and I'm going to do a ton of research on how to do that. And it is going to be really good and my friends will never play with me again. So <laughs> so, so that's why I kind of like try to steer to things like Chainer, which, you know, I think that deck is really good and it wins a lot. But at the same time, like... 
it's not so oppressive that we can't have a fun game. So you talked a bit before, I really loved your take about, you know, the website's not necessarily being misused as much as like there are so many different ways for people to use it. So even if, you know, one particular user might think, oh, this way to use the EDH rec is wrong. It's actually just like there are so many ways to approach it. I like that take. But I know that you also have some opinions about potential biases within EDH rec data. Yeah. Brago, right? (laughs) Brago. Yeah, let's tell a story about Brago guy. I, 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 hey, Brago guy, if you are listening to this, please contact me. I just want to know what you're trying to do. I'm still confused. <laughs> so there, so, so, so let, you, you, let's tell the story of Greek Brago guy because it's kind of interesting. Are, are you guys interested or should we have? Very. <laughs> yes. I don't know anything about this. So would love oh, really? Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was around the time that Keats started working on EHRX. So David Keats is the, you know, you guys should do an interview with David Keats at some point. That would probably be more entertaining than me. He's too busy playing World of Warcraft, so <laughs> couldn't make time for us. You just need to time it so that like it's like right, you know a couple of weeks before a new expansion comes out, and he'll come on. So we had somebody that was submitting like it was something like a thousand Brago decks in the course of a week. I'm sorry, what? Like like <laughs> unique decks. It wasn't like the same deck over and over again. Like these were other decks that he was finding online. So when I followed down the link that he was posting into this. These were like real decks that were across the internet, right? So he was adding all these these Brago decks, and it screwed up all my stats because, like, you know, in the top commanders, like Brago was at the top. When in reality, it really wasn't at the top. Like it was just the fact that like somebody was poisoning the data with a bunch of that's what we call it is uh, a data poisoning. And so there was all these Brago decks, and the stats were getting all out of whack because it was popping towards the top, but. The, the worst part of it was was that it was really skew, screwing up the the synergy scores inside of Azorius um, because there was all these new decks for Brago showing up and it was just screwing up a bunch of stuff. So we did a little bit of an investigation. We had the IP address that was submitting these things and it was this Greek IP address from Greece. And we're like, okay, you know, whatever. That I'm, That's not really that interesting. But then I get a Facebook message. So we fixed the issue, okay? So <laughs> basically, if any decks have been submitted by this individual actually we did change the way the website works because of this individual but <laughs> basically i deleted all those decks because I, I mean i had to get the data back to normal and um i got this facebook message through to the edh rec account from this guy that had a greek like greek letters in his name and he was like oh hey i noticed like the stats on brago are kind of weird like you guys had a lot of decks and now they're gone like what's up with that and I was like, seriously, <laughs> so I mean, I mean, like, I know who he is on Facebook. I don't have like the, you know, the the guts to just message him outright. And it's been long enough now that I don't feel like bringing it up. But there's kind of that concern there, which is kind of where I was talking about before, which was, you know, I'm pulling all these decks from the internet, and there's good decks, there's bad decks, there's decks that aren't really complete. You know, there's decks that somebody has put very little effort into versus high level of effort. And, you know, there's decks for different types of people. There's competitive decks, there's non-competitive decks. So it's, and it's really hard to tell automatically that this is the case, right? So how do I know that a deck is categorically bad, right? Like what does bad mean? And how do I get a computer to figure out what a bad deck is? And that for me at this point is pretty much impossible. So that's where like a lot of these kind of like weird, the things crop in that are pushing up some cards that I think are um, 
are bad. So uh, we have made it pretty hard to poison our data at this point. So I'm not really concerned about that anymore. But, you know, I think there's still these things that happen. Uh, and then there's also biases too, like people build a commander a lot when it comes out and then maybe it doesn't stick around. So you maybe have some temporal bias as well about when some of these commanders were built and what they do. So that's like really the main thing you got to be thinking about is like, is there some reason why this is higher than it should be or lower than it should be? Temporal biases. So for example, a commander product, a precon comes out like from 2017 around the same time that a, a regular set comes out. So you see a bunch of cards from that regular set showing up in those particular precon commanders. Is that the kind of temporal bias that you mean? Yeah, I mean, there's just different timing that causes different things. So, like, I even see patterns around, like, summertime, for example. Like, the website usage kind of tapers off a little bit. So, I mean, there's all kinds of things. Like, there's the commander set release dates. There's uh, new set release dates. Uh, but the bigger one is growth. But we've basically have added about 50% users in the past year. Just in the past year? Actually, you know what? It's doubled. Yep. In the, wow. in the past year, it's like a little, It's let's say it's like 1.8x. So there's more decks coming through. There's more people looking at more decks. There's more people, I, I think, playing EDH than they were a year ago. And so there are decks that were being built a year ago that now just because EDH is more popular, there's like these numbers are getting bigger faster. There's also other things that are a little bit like worse that are my fault in here as well. So like the one big example I can think of is there was a point in time in which I was only getting data from tapped out. And then after that, I stopped getting data from tapped out. And then I started only getting data from goldfish and deck stats. And the tapped out data was still more than both of those combined. So it, if you look at the stat numbers, you can actually see that like if you look at some plots or you know, I plotted the data a couple times, you see this big dip when we made that transition. And then the other thing too is that we actually saw differences in like tapped out users versus Dexat users using Soul Ring different amounts. Like I think Dexat's users were using Soul Ring like 2% more than tapped out users. So these are the other things we have to worry about. So all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. And that is also interesting, almost kind of a, a physics experiment going into it. Like now that people are aware that the data exists, that also helps shape deck building in ways that it didn't before. Yeah. So it's nice. It's a nice reminder. Basically, what all of this comes down to, it's a nice reminder that this is not, you, you know, the end all be all of deck building resources. This is one among many. Yep. Yep. And I think you should use your brain sometimes. And if you don't feel like it, that's fine, too. Yeah, Dan. <laughs> Ooh, that was mean. I, I actually that brings up an interesting point on bias is I don't know how much of a feedback loop I create. I, I don't know. In the sense that how much is the popularity of popular cards because I make them popular? Right? Because then that just creates a feedback loop where the, the rich get richer, right? And um because people say like, oh, everybody else is playing this card, I need to play that card. So then they put, make that card and then they put it in their deck and then I scrape it and then it increases the popularity of that card, right? So I think the relative rankings of cards still will make sense even with that bias, like meaning that you know this card's more popular than this card. But I do wonder what impact that does have on the format overall in terms of pushing the lesser popular cards down to the bottom. And that's where we come in, the podcast, the <laughs> yeah. articles, the human element, yeah, yeah. so that we can be wrong in different ways. <laughs> as long as they're different. just Exactly. Just, if, if, if you're going to be wrong, try to be randomly wrong. 
So that was a whole lot about, you know, the history of EDHREC and where it is right now. But what kind of features are upcoming for the site? What kind of stuff can we look forward to in the future? So, you know, I, I think I think maybe it, it's interesting to talk about the business side a little bit because I, I, I want to explain that a little bit to see where people are coming from. So as people notice, or maybe if you have ad blockers on, you don't, but we have ads on the website and we also get paid through our sponsors, uh, Card Kingdom and TCG Player. And one thing that I've really enjoyed having a magic-focused business is, is that I'm, all these people at the three, those three companies I'm working with, the ad provider and Card Kingdom and uh, TCG Player, is like, I think we all believe that you know we're going to pump more money into this thing so that we can do more cool stuff, right? So as the website grows, I think I have more budget to do bigger and cooler things, and that's what I want to do. And so I think, you know, we're going to see a lot more, I'm hoping bigger things coming up. I'll, I'll, I'll give you some detail, but, you know, I'm thinking bigger things, more things, things getting done faster, things like that. So so no exclusive spoilers are coming this episode is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're getting a Tanawa reprint. Uh, <laughs> so, so anyways, uh, to get dive into some detail on the general themes, so there's two if, – if I want to kind of break it up into two things, there's the human element, which we have a big thing that we're going to start working on very soon. And I think I'm going to go into detail on that one so that it forces us to actually work on it. Because if I announce it and then it doesn't happen, then that would be bad. And then, and then <laughs> the second one is improvements to the core EHREC website and pieces around that. So the, increasing the human element, the big thing that we want to do – this is actually kind of in the plans from the beginning is that when we wanted to have human generated content like the articles, we wanted to start like simple on and get more complex. So, you know, we started with articles and then we started working on the podcast. And then the next one is we haven't quite figured out the name yet, but the idea is an encyclopedia about EDH. It's the encoding of all human knowledge about EDH in one place that you can search, look through, contribute to, etc. So, so, so it's kind of a small project. Yeah, small project. <laughs> it, it, it's a huge undertaking because it's, it has a lot of human time in it. And also, too, we want to make it pretty high quality and we want to make it authoritative. So like articles, there's this expectation that it's, you know, your name is tied to it. It's a, um, but de facto, a, a, an opinion piece, right? So... We want to make something that is true all the time, right? And takes into consideration like different points of views, different strategies and things like that and encode that human knowledge into like a encyclopedia or a guide or however you want to call it. And that is, I think, the biggest project that I have in mind coming up, coming soon. You know, I'm kind of hoping to have that released, you know, if we're lucky in April, if we're not, maybe in the summer sometime. So you're talking more like a Wikipedia type knowledge pool. Yeah, yeah. it was kind of inspired by some of the really good um, wikis that I use for some video games that I play. Uh, it seems like it's pretty all over the place. Some about which games have good wikis and which ones don't, but that's kind of where we pull the inspiration from that. And it's going to cover topics like a wiki page on Vampire Tribal. Like, let's go find a Vampire Tribal expert that's played Vampire Tribal more than a few times, has tried different builds. Like, for example, I, I feel like I could write the mono black strategy guide, right? And like I played all the commanders in mono black for the most part, kind of know the ins and outs and I know the competitive aspect a more casual field. So that's really what we're 
trying to do and get into like that fine grain detail on how to play a color identity, how to play a tribe, you know, mana bases, uh, mana rocks, like good board wipes, things like that. Uh, and also too, like how to play the game, maybe guides on like uh, deck construction or you know, how to build on a budget, things like that. Well, that sounds like a pretty fun feature. I'm looking forward to editing all of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, lucky for us, we have a bunch of writers sitting around and that's kind of the plan is, you know, we're going to use this army of article writers to bang out all this content and, uh, and really get it to the point where people trust the content. And, uh, you know, for example, difference in articles is, you know, we we're going to have technical reviews of, of the articles, maybe have multiple contributors to each, each page. We're going to have them edited and, also, too, they're going to be updated, unlike articles as well, right? So, you know, if there are some major changes to Mono Black, some new cards that come out, we should update those now and then. So, very cool. That sounds really fun. It's not just the data, it's not just our opinions and our particular deck lists that we're presenting on the articles. It's going to be something that hopefully people can use as a reference guide for quite a while. So, that sounds like a really fun feature. And <laughs> hopefully, not uh, too far in the future, we'll be yeah, able yeah. to get that up and running. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's just, Humans are harder to work with than computers, so the <laughs> assembling the team for that is going to be a huge undertaking. But you know, I, I think we're ready as an organization to do that, and I'm really happy with the community of EDHREC writers that we have already, and I think a couple more people that we're going to be able to pull into the team to do that. So I'm, I'm really confident that it's going to be something that people want to look at. Awesome stuff. So, Don, we're going to wrap up with our favorite segment that is Challenging the Stats, where we each like to pick a card that is seeing either too much play, according to the website, or maybe too little play, according to the website. Dana, do you mind starting us off with some Challenging the Stats? I certainly can. So, Don mentioned having retired his Enchantress deck. I admittedly kind of did the same thing when the Bent Enchantress decks came out. I didn't retire, I just didn't play it forever. Until the last couple of weeks, I'm like, you know, I will try it again and found I liked it again after having taken a year off. I was I was enjoying it once again. But one card I had forgot I had put in the deck right before I kind of set it aside is an enchantment in Aura called Mark of Sakiko out of the Kamigawa, what the world is that? Kamigawa block. As enchanted creature has, whatever this creature deals combat damage to a player, add that much green mana to your mana pool. This mana doesn't cause mana burn, as this is an old enchantment, and it doesn't drain <laughs> from your pool until the end of turn. So, you put this on your Sigarda, in my case, or your Ural, or whatever the commander is you're using for an enchantment deck, because it's only two mana to cast. It's one in a green. Swing and hit somebody for 8 or 10 or 12, or whatever your commander's doing, and essentially then have all the mana in the world to do whatever you want during your second main phase. That's oh man, spicy. so I am reading this thing. You know what I want to run this in is Omnath Locus of Mana. Yeah, in any deck basically where like you were going to utilize that mana and have a big creature, it's in 217 decks. And Enchantress is great, you know, if you're talking about Euro or something, or Sigarda, especially where you have protection on your creature. But really, you only need to hit somebody one time with this thing, and you're going to get, you know the equivalent of super dark ritual out of it in mana. And if it's on multiple turns, it, it's better than a mana reflection at that point. You're getting so much mana back. I'm I'm so focused on this. I can't believe it's only showing up in 59 Omnath decks. You just give Omnath trample. And then whenever he hits someone, he like doubles his own power. Yeah. This is amazing. Oh, that's such a cool enchantment. I can't believe I've never even heard 200 of 200 decks. Put double strike on Omnath and have that thing in there. 
there you go. <laughs> well, you don't get that much mana since you killed someone. Before <laughs> right, second right, strike, exactly. Guess, but <laughs> all right. So, Don, now some time for you to air some grievances. Are there cards that you think are over <laughs> or underplayed? Yeah. Uh, so you guys suggested that I looked at maybe some pet cards. So the, the one that really came to mind that I have never seen anybody else play, but I put it in pretty much all my black decks is Ashes to Ashes. What's that one do? So it's a uh, sorcery, two black, one colorless. And you exile two target non-artifact creatures from the game. And then you lose five life. So commander where like the f- loss of five life is, isn't necessarily yeah, a huge deal. Especially in black where I have built in ways to mitigate that, right? I mean, exiling two creatures is like always relevant. <laughs> and especially with the prevalence of commanders like Carador, Marin, Muldrotha nowadays as well, that exile makes it yeah, really yeah, important. and it's targeted too. Like, I mean, it's not like it's just an edict. Like, it, I don't know. Like, just exiling two creatures, indestructible, uh, Eldrazi. You know, or I, I use it early game too. You know, if somebody's playing a deck on the more competitive side, like, and they've got like Llanowar elves, and like, let's say they're playing. Uh, you know, Selvala, like Green Storm deck. I mean, if if you exile their Llanowar Elves and their commander, and then they're on like turn two, three with commander that costs five mana and no mana dorks, like, I mean, that person's not doing anything for two turns. So. Alrighty, that's a pretty sick pick there. I'm going to move on to mine now on the subject of Reanimator. The card that I've picked is Nezahal Primal Tide. This is the 7 mana 7 7 Elder Dinosaur in blue. It has a wall of text, and I, probably because of that wall of text, did not give this card the credence that it is due. First of all, it can't be countered. It gives you no maximum hand size. Then it also has the Mystic Remora ability. Whenever an opponent casts a non-creature spell, you draw a card. But the best part of this Nezahal Primal Tide guy is that you can discard three cards to exile it and return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. That clause is so, so good, and you're going to have to exile this thing and do it quickly before it drowns your opponents in all the card advantage that it gives you. A friend of mine has a Muldrotha deck and he busted this guy out. It must have drawn him 30 cards over the course of that game, and I could never get rid of it. And the best thing was that he kept on pitching cards in his hand into the graveyard where he could then reanimate them. When I took a look at this card's page, it shows up most in Joda, Archmage Eternal, and after that, the Locust God decks. And while I appreciate how many cards it will draw for the Locust God, I think that more reanimator-style decks need to take advantage of how awesome Nezahal is. It definitely deserves to play, deserves to see more play in reanimator-type decks, even more than stuff like Joda and the Locust God, because it can fill your graveyard and your hand at the same time. It's so hard to kill, it's glorious. It is pretty good. I, I'm surprised it hasn't shown up in, like, some more standard decks, and I put a copy in my Niv-Mizzet deck. I haven't gotten a draw it yet, which is weird because Niv-Mizzet draws a ton of cards, but I'm, <laughs> I'm waiting for it, and I'm, I'm kind of excited to see how it plans out. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you throwing that uh, card out. Actually, it's it's I mean, it's uh, my my seven-year-old son's favorite card, actually, because it's a plesiosaur. That's one of his favorite dinosaurs. He, he has a copy of it that I got him. Your son has good taste, I promise. This thing is soul-crushingly good. I could not find a way to get rid of it. It was just way too darn awesome. Matt, let's finish up with yours. Sure. So mine is a Tasa special, kind of my my flavor of the week type of deck. Uh, But that card that I'm going to talk about is Enduring Renewal. So Enduring Renewal is Ice Age. It's very hipster, very high on the, the Donald Miner scale, only in 269 decks right now. And I think that number is wrong, especially with new Tasa coming out. 
So Enduring Renewal is an enchantment for two white-white, and it says, play with your hand revealed. If you would draw a card, reveal a top card of your library instead. If it's a creature card, put it into your graveyard, otherwise draw a card. And then it also reads, whenever a creature is put into the graveyard from play, return it to your hand. So this is a combo piece. If you have any sort of one-mana dork, you can sacrifice it to Phyrexian Altar, generate a bunch of mana because it bounces back to your hand. All sorts of really fun stuff can go on with this, and it's not played in hardly any decks. Uh, it's only been mentioned in two articles on EDH Rec. Both of them were <laughs> written by me. Uh, <laughs> but one was for Tishar Ancestor's Apostle, and then one was for Tasa just now. But the top commander right now is Eile Eternal Pilgrim, which is all about sacrificing your creatures for value. Uh, it's a very, very powerful card. There's an old, very, very old deck called Fruity Pebbles, where it was an infinite loop with Ornithopter, Goblin Bombardment, and this card. It's just a combo enabler. It's a good value engine. Carador players probably don't care about stuff going to the graveyard because they're going to cast it anyways. If you're a reanimator player and you have white in your deck, this is probably a very good piece to put in there because it's going to help control your draws as well. Well, you're a mean man, Mr. Morgan. I am. This is a true fact. Don, is there anything else that you'd like to let our listeners know about before we wrap up the show? Uh, I feel like I should say something, but... No, I mean, we, we, we covered a lot. So, you know, I, I think uh, you know, I just want to thank all the people that listen to the podcast and are, visit the website. And, you know, it's, it's really more so than just being a cool thing that I work on. I mean, the coolest thing is just talking to people that use it and find value from it. So, you know, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in. Alrighty, and with that, we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts for joining me, and Don, of course, you as well. If any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? The best way is to Twitter message, Facebook message, or take a look at the uh, email link at the bottom of the page. Awesome. And Dana, if listeners want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter, at Dana Roach, and I usually do another one of these podcasts every week at Commander Central. And Matt, how about you? I'm on the Twitters as well, at Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenneth Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader, that's L-O-A-D-3-R. Follow Trek and the cast on Facebook and Twitter. Remember, we're doing a giveaway of a foil copy of every signet when the cast gets 1,000 followers on Twitter. And we're getting pretty close, so head on over there to smash those like buttons for a chance to win. You can contact us at edhretcast at gmail.com, and you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast, too. This cast is posted every week on the Community Content Spotlight section of EDHREC, where we feature as many other content creators as we can. Zoned, screwed, and verses, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDHREC your deck before you write your deck. It's from the scurvy. <laughs> Scurvy that Don got from not eating his cards. <laughs> I'm no doctor, but that makes sense. <laughs> Vitamin C, Dana. Vitamin the C stands for card. I love it. Can that be on your tombstone? Yep. Well, once I die, it's scurvy. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly.